Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Podcast lovers, how the fuck are you? Welcome to the show. Lions Lounge Lockdown is sponsored for the entire 2020-21 season by Match. Scaffolding. Match Scaffolding is owned and operated by a Millwall fan and long-time season ticket holder, a good mate of mine. So if you need any scaffolding in your life, please don't hesitate to check out Match Scaffolding's contact details in the description of this audio podcast offering. Our guest today is a Millwall legend, nine years at the club, over 300 appearances. What a man. This is a two-parter. My God, these Irish boys can talk and I loved every single minute of it. David Ford, Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode 32, part one. Enjoy. So we're going to go in three, two, one. Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode 32. A mill legend, David Ford. Fordy, thanks for joining us, mate. Great to be here this morning, mate. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for having me on. So I've seen the other ones you've been doing over the last weeks and over the months and keeping people uh, keep people alive during the lockdown. So no, fair play to you. You've absolutely smashed it. I've totally Brilliant. enjoyed it. Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. Yeah, hopefully, I said this could be a long one. There's plenty to get through. A Millwall player, 2008 to 2017. Your Wikipedia says 299 appearances. I'm praying, I'm praying you made that 300th. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's all wrong. It was 342 appearances and just uh, one shy of the great Brian King. So I would have surpassed him in the most appearances for for a goalkeeper Mm. only for one game. So that was one regret that I have that I never got to accomplish. And uh, uh, I still have the gloves. I got my glove maker to actually make me up a special pair of gloves with 342 written on them. And they're still (laughs) still up in my closet. Still still in the Uh, wrapper. Yeah, so if Bart gets injured or if there's, you know, if the boys get, get struck down with Anton that happens, you know, I'm still alive, boys, you know what I mean? I can do a job for one game. There's one good game left of me. Still still got the 90 minutes left just, just to break that record. Uh, just just one good game. I reckon one good game. <laughs> yeah. So you come to the job, in, uh, come to the job, come to Mill in 2008. Um, was you, was it a free transfer from, was you a free agent, sorry, or was it from Cardiff? Yeah, I came from um, Cardiff. So I was released at Cardiff. Um, and the, the just the tail end of the following the season before that, I went on loan to Bournemouth, 
as an emergency loan, they were in great difficulty and grave difficulty and they just managed to survive and they got me in off the back of um, an emergency loan. And luckily enough, I got to play against the Millwall and it was Kenny Jackett's first season in there. Ended up saving a penalty against Chopper and um, I met um, Tony Burns down in the tunnel afterwards and he just dropped a few things into me, dropped a few things into me ear and next thing, following season, I found myself down at Millwall. Kenny Jackett gave me a phone call and it was, it was a no-brainer for me. I was straight down the M4. What was he like for you, Kenny Jacket, as a manager? First impressions of him? Yeah, Kenny Kenny is a fascinating man. He's a fantastic manager, a great manager. Where I think where Kenny, you know, for, certainly seeing his development and seeing our development and hearing stories when I first went to the club when he was a coach at QBR, he was meant to be great fun, great banter, great character. And then as he became a manager, he had to, you know, separate himself from that part. He had to become a manager and manage men and manage lads and manage the club and stuff. So um, on that side of things, I, I had a great relationship with Kenny um, up to a certain point. Um, and then like that, you know, things things changed and uh, it was it was no fault of Kenny's, more so of my own. And mm. things changed on, on that front, which... Uh, was certainly interested and we may get into as we as we talk on but um yeah Kenny Kenny was a fantastic manager and a fantastic manager at the time for the club that gave that foundation and you can see the roots of his work even today when I look at the club and you can see the roots of what he did at Swansea and places like that so he always mm-hmm. puts in a, an amazing base an amazing foundation and it's like the club at the moment when I when I look at the club and I see you know, from from when John Burleson came into the club and where they started in, in League One and consolidating League One, becoming a top team in League One. And now we're becoming a, a consolidated top team in, in the championship and pushing for that promotion. So I definitely feel, you know, the club is evolving, the chairman and, and the board and everybody else and the calibre of players and calibre of um, manager and everything coming into the club and stuff. And I've always felt that one day Millwall will get to the Premier League and I definitely think that will happen within the next three to five years. Mm. Um, I think the way things are going at the moment, you know, just, just sat outside the playoffs unlucky at the weekend and uh, it's just great to see that evolution and that sense of, of, of development. But I know I've rambled on there and I've gone off onto a different path. But, no, it's fine, mate. Um, it's fine. It, it's, just, it's just great to see that type of um, evolution and that type of, of development with, with from the board down to the club and, and how it's all progressing from, from whence I first came there in, in 2008 where we made fundamental changes, you know, where there was fundamental changes made to the training ground, to the canteen, to the gym, to everything. We, we, we built and built and built on it. And um, that was a big part of, of, of me going to the club because I always felt that Millwall as a club had a, such a huge reputation you know, it was a notorious reputation. And um, there was something that just attracted me to that, whether it was the crest or just the nature of the club. I was always drawn to it as a young man, whether it was that Irish connection. And so when that call came in, it was really a no-brainer for me. I was like, right, I'm there. I'm in. I just love mm-hmm. the spirit of the club. It just, it seemed to capture everything that I actually was. And when when I got to the club, it's it's no easy task to come into a club like that of its of its reputation, notorious fans and stuff, and especially as a goalkeeper, it's mm. a difficult job to do in itself. But if you can play in goals at Millwall, I believe you can play in goals anywhere. <laughs> it's funny you say that as well because we we've interviewed a lot of people from different eras, and they've all said just just the club as a whole. Yes, the the club's got the reputation. Yes, the fans have got the reputation. But also, just when you're in that club, from the tea lady to the kit man, it's just a real great feeling of togetherness. 
Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was it was absolutely amazing. Like from um, the the tea ladies, from Adrian, Adrian the kit man, to you know Tony Burns, the goalkeeping coach, to Veronica Quinn at the as the head of catering. She's an absolute. She's often um, an unsung hero within the club. I just think she's there over thirty odd years or something like that. Like, and she was the one that appealed to me in terms of. Obviously, there was the Irish connection, and Kenny Jacket was very, very clever in that. He was like, he's an Irishman, you're an Irishman, ring him. She was like, I haven't got a clue about football. He was like, <laughs> will he relate to you on some stage, you know? So Veronica was always like a, a, an anti-figure to me, and she was always great to my wife and to my children in terms of when they came to the club. And even those things of, um, you know, as a, a liaison that she could bring Millwall and sell Millwall and what it actually is and what it actually isn't and in terms of what it actually is and when we first arrived in terms of you know trying to get schools sorted and all that that my wife was concerned about my young kids and then for my kids to grow up in Millwall and grow up at the den and, and to have those special occasions will I suppose it'll only stand to me in years to come when I'm an old man and they start to tell me the stories of what they did and what they got up at the stadiums and what they seen and more importantly probably what they heard you know so <laughs> I'm to be interested I'm looking forward to those days <laughs> no doubt mate you've got some memories of your own let's go back yeah. to the very beginning of your mill career your debut do you remember that do you remember what, what game that was I do remember that was that Swindon oh I don't know so I had uh, Oldham opening day of the season would it have been oh it was Oldham I thought you remember the first home game that was away Oldham was away wasn't it yeah Oldham was, was away Oldham yeah. away yeah, it was uh, it was a three two or four three four three four three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. Robbo got sent off. Um, they scored two late goals. I think mm. we started off absolutely cruising. We we're in. I, I think Mark Laird could have scored the same day. As I far asked, as I, I asked Jimmy the other day about Jimmy Abdul. I said um, four three, hold them away. I said, look at four of that back five there. All me all legends. Fully done. Craig yeah. and Robbo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you said earlier, it just shows you how far the club has come. Yeah, it was it was an absolute it was an absolute disaster of a debut. And I always remember I remember just walking up to those steps in at Oldham thinking, what's the manager gonna say here? Like, you know, and I remember thinking, Jesus, have I actually made the right move here? Am I actually out of my depth here? Am I actually good enough for this level? Mm. It was- Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. All sorts running running through my mind. And then all I was thinking about was oh my God, I got a debut at the den next week and we're just after getting beat 4-3 and there was a few fans <laughs> kicking on already, you know. Yeah. Forge your rubbish and, ah, oh, Jesus, I was thinking, here we go. Like, you know, this is going to be, um, this is going to be very, very interesting. Something you just touched on there, you end up playing 56 straight games. You didn't miss one game that season um, at all. Would it, would it be fair to say that before that, this, this was sort of your very first run of consistent being number one at, at sort of any club you've been at at this level? Yeah, totally. Since since I came to the UK, obviously back in Ireland, um, I was successful in the League of Ireland with Derry City and you know the European runs and what we did there back in Ireland. But from a, a professional aspect in the UK, that was yeah the first time I became in and as, as a number one. Mm. Um, I had a good spell at Cardiff, did well, showed some potential, but like that, I just never got that opportunity. So for me, it was taking that step back to go to Millwall and actually realise, well, Millwall is a championship club here. Um, mm. Great potential, got everything in place, stadium, facilities, training ground, that if this connects and this this goes well. And and Kenny Kenny sold it to me, so I thought, yeah, it's a, it's a no-brainer for me to to get to Millwall and actually establish myself as, as a number one goalkeeper that consistently I could perform every week. Mm. And Tony Burns was amazing in that. What a, what a man, what a, what, a, what a leader, what an absolute hero. And he said to me, you know, I said, geez, if I come down in this year and I, if I get 40 games plus under my belt. And he said, he said, excuse me. And I said, yeah, if I play 40 something games, like, you know, like most pros or whatever. He says, you're a number one goalkeeper. And he says, you play every game. And that's the approach you've got to take. And I just thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. And next thing I realized, I played 150 something consecutive games mm. all in a row. And um, that was a, a phenomenal feat. And due to my own stupidity, uh, the end of that came to 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 uh, an unfortunate end. But to play 56 games in the first season, uh, I think I kept 16 or 17 clean sheets, and I never had a season like it either. I think I said five or six penalties, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was certainly um, it was certainly an interesting season. And then I think we played Swindon the following game, my second game, and I think after two minutes, a ball came into the box from the halfway line, and me trying to be the hero, I went chasing it thinking, oh, I'll come and pluck this one and settle it right down. And all the fans be like, yeah, we got the keeper. He's coming. He's coming. Just pluck the cross out of the sky. <laughs> and of course, I frumble and flap at it. And your man taps it in. And I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go. I'm just thinking, bury me here. Dig a hole. So, yeah, yeah it, was an in- it was an interesting start. And then I think uh, the, the following game was Huddersfield at home. And I saved, uh, I think it was a last minute, David Unsworth penalty. Bottom right hand corner. Yeah, yeah, he had a left foot, David Unsworth as well, didn't he? Yeah, absolute hammer foot. He had a foot like Paul was hammer. It's fair play to how many actual games you remember because I've made some notes. And obviously, I've researched it, but I think you know you might not remember exact games, exact saves, but it seems like you just remember everything with great detail and great fondness. Yeah, it's just it's it, it's hard not to because I I spent so long trying to get to that point. I spent so many years trying to establish myself as a number one goalkeeper and. 
and to play play number one in the UK and test myself at that level. And ultimately, you know, my both ambitions were I, I had three kind of ambitions and I set myself three goals when I went to Millwall. One was to get promoted out of League One. Um, two was to get promoted out of the Championship and try to get to play in the Premier League. I would have loved to have done that with Millwall. And three was to get to play for Ireland. So I managed two out of three, which, as the good old song says, ain't bad, is it? So yeah, it, was, it was phenomenal. So uh, I, I remember a lot of the games and a lot of, a lot of I suppose, key games I remember. There's a lot of games that have gone past me and I'm, people have asked me if you remember that game and I'm like, I've not got a clue. I'd rather forget it. I'll say, it, yeah. was a very, it was a very successful first season. Talk about some of the players in that team. Alan Dunno, I believe, is a, a very close friend of yours still. Tony Craig, Paul Robinson, Jimmy Abdu, Neil Harris. Some serious yeah. legends in there. Yeah, serious, serious players. We had a phenomenal team. We had, like, as you said, Donny, Donny grew up at the club from, from a young boy. Like, you know, he just absolutely loves Millwall. It's, it just flows through, his, flows through his blood more than more than anyone. And then you had Paul Robinson like that came through the U team and stuff like that. And then Paul was a, a fantastic um, captain. And, you know, he wasn't one of the, the loudest or one of the most vocal, but he was the type of leader that when you got him on the pitch, you know, he'd go through a brick wall. Jesus, he used to put himself into some, some, um, some blocks and, and get himself into some positions. And you just think that was the type of leader he actually was. Um, and as you said, you know, Tony Craig, TC was brilliant, very vocal had a great left foot and just absolutely adored Millwall as well. So there was a key group of players there and, you know, it was, you know, Mike Calvin details it and documents it lovely within the family. Tony Frampton, Frammo was a, a fantastic man, fantastic bloke. And he had a real sense of maturity about him as well, more so than than probably all the rest of us. Um, Neil Harris then as, you know, Neil's Mr. Mr. Millwall, you know, he liked that as well for what he's done at the club, you know, to be the top scorer, to managing the club, to getting promotions. And you, you got to hand it to him. Like, you know, when, when I first went to the club, he gave me some great insights into the club as well, as well as each individual player. They gave me each their own little insight. Mm-hmm. And I was wise enough to understand at the time is, right, what can I learn from, from these individuals? What do I need to take from them? Mm-hmm. What have they learned down through the years that could actually help me um, morph into this club and embed myself into the club and like that Jimmy Abdu as well Jimmy signed at the same time as me yeah. as an unknown as well like from from Plymouth so we were kind of the two new there's boys two great the signings the two great signings yeah. there and Jimmy yeah in yeah, terms of not just what you did for the club what we got uh, appearance wise as well do you know what I mean yeah yeah Jimmy 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 absolutely smashed it and, and like that as well you know you never heard Jimmy moaning I never heard there was times I was actually hoping he'd more. I'd hoping he'd actually say something. But all you got was the Jimmy smile. And you knew every week that he put in 100% every week. Every week he was, he'd, he'd run and run. And for what he didn't have technically, he had mentally and, you know, his, his, his ability to inspire with, with the level of ground and the level of energy that he used to cover and chip in with some just key goals at key stages and key times was was absolutely, um, absolutely amazing. And another people, another man that goes, that's actually a Millwall fan, is Gary Alexander. Yeah. And Gary was brilliant when he first came to the club. He showed me around, showed me the areas, brought me playing golf and really bedded me in. So if you're listening to this, Gary, I really appreciate all that, that help and support you gave me and I'm, I'm still here today. So <laughs> thanks a million. Talking about Jimmy Abdo, you said Jimmy never moaned, you wished he did. 
we interviewed him last week, could have been a week before, and I think he may not have moaned because he was slightly scared of you. I said, <laughs> I said, what was Fawley like? He said he was the nicest, perfect gentleman. He said, but when he crossed that line, it's a fucking animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that probably that probably sums it up, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, like that off the pitch. And my wife used to say the same thing to me because she'd go to games or she'd be in, 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 in the club afterwards and people would be just gone. They'd be looking at me like half a scared, like going, they're going, Jesus, how would you live with that man? That guy's an absolute lunatic. He's putting his hand through, he's putting his fist through ceilings and ripping off doors and doing all sorts of mad shit, like, you know? And uh, she said, David's an absolute, you know, gentle joint at home. He's just... Yeah so calm and composed but there was just something about me when it when it came to games and it came to performance and it came to um winning and everything else that once I crossed that white line it was about it was about that it was about the win it was about the victory it was about the teamwork it was about the brotherhood it was about everybody coming together to get that victory to get that win or to get a result or whatever else and you can't describe you know it, it's hard to put it into words that when you come into the changing room afterwards um, that shot of adrenaline, that high, that it's, it was nearly like an addiction, really, you know, when you come into it during the week and you're just high for the after. No more than fans, no more than fans, the, the highs we get after games and stuff. But to be on the pitch, to know that you put in the graft first thing in the morning to early in the evening, the level of preparation, the level of discipline that has to go into it and all that. And then all of a sudden it all just comes together. And just to, you know, to, to, to band together like that is, is a phenomenal experience. We see you. We've seen you lose your shit on the pitch a couple of times. One we'll talk about um, definitely a memorable one later on. But did you used to smash the dressing rooms up and stuff like that as well? Then half time things like that. Um, I it wouldn't. I wouldn't have been a regular. It'd be. It'd be. It wouldn't be a, a standard practice. But there's been there's been another occurrence where um, yeah, a few things a few things went flying. You know, <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's been there's there's been there's been a few incidences, but. Nothing, nothing too, nothing too hectic, and it was never anything personal. Mm. And uh, and that was always the thing with me, like you know, and we we often used to have those conversations like that. Those seven key players that we mentioned earlier, we'd have those types of conversations, and we were still pretty old school because we still came from that old school kind of mentality that you'd have a tear up, and then you'd go and you'd have a beer after, and you'd forget about it, and you'd yeah. move on. We never took things personal, and we just kept right. This is this is business. This is what we want to do. We all want the same thing. And I think when you get a group of players that all want the same thing and we all wanted to get promoted and we all had, we, we all supported each other in our own little special ways. And it, it just, it just formed something beautiful and it was such a, a beautiful year. And to get to Wembley that year and to lose in the final was absolutely heartbreaking. And that's actually one of the shirts I have on my wall here is wow. the actual, I don't have the winning shirt. I've actually got the losing shirt oh. because something stirred in me that day that, it gave me a fire and a drive and a belief to go on and achieve something. And it was such a special day because I remember going up the, um, and I got two shirts and that's the, the, the second shirt I gave away. And I went up the steps after that. We were going up to get the, the second place or whatever to say, take our silver medals or whatever they were handing out to us. And there was, um, there was a, there was a man lying on lying on the bed and he was, um, he was, he was dying. He was passing away. So, I gave my shirt to him at the time and stuff, and he was a Millwall fan. He just came for the day that day, and I just thought, "Here's this man on his on his deathbed, came to the game, and you know, here I am wondering about football and feeling so upset and disappointed. And this lad's on his last legs, and he managed to get to Wembley to support his 
his his club. So I gave him his shirt, and I just thought, wow. So there's a it's a it's a very poignant moment for me that mm-hmm. game, and one that it, it it kicked me on to probably the next level of of, of my career. Yeah, it's interesting that you said you kept the one from the year that we lost, just to just to give you that focus and that drive to like remember that that's nightmare again sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally, hundred percent. Because I'll never I'll never forget that feeling. And and to be honest, it was it it was it was it, it was an amazing game considering Gary Alexander's goal is probably one of the best goals I've still ever seen today, mm. and it's probably the best goal I've ever seen at Wembley. And he. Um, then to, to, to miss the third one, which was the easiest one of all, which was a header in the last minute to make it 3-1. Like, Gary, you know, you put it on his head. I've seen him, you know, he'd score 100 of them. Not 99, he'd score every one of them. And that one he missed. And then they got on the other end and scored two goals. So that was a bit of a sucker punch. But when we look back at it, and Kenny always said it, we weren't really ready for, for the championship. You know, we would have got absolutely mauled the following year in the championship, but it did give us a serious resolve, a serious level of resilience. And Kenny gave us like, a, it was like a speech out of um, any given Sunday after the game in Wembley. And he says, we'll be back here again next year. Like, and I was just thinking, Jesus, can we not just go up automatic? Do we have to go through all this? You know what I mean? We'll happily take the title, Kenny, or take second place. We don't have to come back. Yeah, 100%. And then we nearly got up second place the following season. I went like between Leeds and ourselves and, and it just, we were up for like 10 minutes and then Leeds there was a disaster at Bristol Bristol Rovers at Leeds the keeper threw one out to the to um, the winger and he crossed it and they scored and we, we had to go into the playoffs again like so mm. there was so many um, highs and lows you've done yourself you've done yourself out of, of talking about a penalty save by the way you've skipped to the final let's talk about the semi-final Leeds at home obviously uh, Neil Harris scores the win I've got the print behind me there. I don't know if you can see up the top oh I do yeah 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 I got it up there yeah it's a great print the away game Leads away, took me through that. Big penalty save, big penalty save. Leads away, yeah, Jesus. We, we, we had this feeling, we just knew we were going to beat Leeds. We always had that feeling. And as a club, I think it's still there today. You just know we're going to beat Leeds. <laughs> you just know it. For some reason, it was like, I think Morrow scored a couple of goals a few years ago, last minute or something. And you just know, we, we just had this knowing that we could beat Leeds. And we knew the pressure was all on them because I think there was forty-two or 44,000 at Ellen Road. And the noise out of the place was was undescribable. It was mm. it would take the ears off you, like you know, you nearly had to wear earplugs. So we start the game off, and like that, we're trying to be conservative and protect the lead and everything else. The next thing, we give away a penalty, and Beckford steps up. And I wouldn't mind. It, it was bittersweet because a few months earlier, live on Sky, I think they beat us two 0 the same night, and he he gave me you know a little elbow into the mush, and did a bit of damage to me teeth and me lips and stuff like that, like you know. And uh, it'd be hard not to because they're, they're big enough. So uh, <laughs> he, um, he did some damage and I think he got suspended for some games. And then the, 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 it just gave me that bit more determination to save that penalty. So it was nice to get down low, bottom right, touch it on. I don't know if they come off the post or just go wide. Yeah, just it just gave us that foundation and that base to realise that right just weathered a massive storm there, nearly goal. Then I think they scored shortly after that, and then next thing Jimmy pops up 
like I don't think he's ever got inside the six yard box since like you know and he, t- he nods one in you know and um, just just the, the absolute scenes people are just going absolutely mental and unfortunately for me I had to go and do a drugs test so I missed most of the celebrations I was going to ask you about the celebrations on the pitch afterwards missed it yeah I, I missed all them the, drug, the drugs the drugs um, as the boys used to call them the willy watchers come in and absolutely pulled us aside and dragged us into the dragged us into the toilets and um I had to do a drawing. By the time I came out running out, then thinking all the celebrations are gone and everyone was gone, and I'm like looking around, gone. Where's everyone? They're all in the changing room. Oh, I had to go yeah. and put my kit back on and, and wait for it again. Well, as we said, we um we know what happened in the final, a disappointing time. But that second season going back was that like you know the start of 2009, 2010 season. You said was there a real belief in the in the team that you could do it again or maybe go one better? Um, well, it didn't start off that way. We had an absolute disaster, I think, up till October. We mm. were really struggling. We had a serious hangover. And uh, the effects of losing a playoff like that, even though you might say we weren't ready or whatever, it's still, at the time, you're not really aware of that. It's only when you look back and reflect on it and you evaluate the season. But definitely, um, it, was, it, was, it was a real tough opener because now all of a sudden expectations of the club had risen expectations of the fans had risen mm. now everybody had seen us as a, a potential threat you know the year before we were they were nearly relegated Millwall the year before before it came so no one really seen us coming now people were prepared for us they knew what we were about um, so I think I think what what stimulated that and what stirred that season we went on to a fantastic run we were playing MK Dons at home I think it was a Tuesday night and we were 2-1 down with a few minutes to go. And MK Dons were going for promotion themselves. They had a really strong side. And next thing, Morrow just picked the ball up. I think he may have been on the um, left-hand side of the box, cut inside and, and slots one away. Then he went two minutes later, scored another, and we win 3-2 in the last few minutes. And just a sense of belief that came in that, because we only signed Morrison that 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 um, that summer from yeah. I think it was 150 grand from Stevenage, yeah. and even though Morrow came in, he was struggling with his own confidence because it was a big step up for him as well. He had a lot to prove as well, and I remember a lot of the lads at the time thinking like, you know, that who is this guy? You know, he 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 talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk, <laughs> and we were kind of going like, you know, right, okay, he's 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 is is this is looking at it now? Is this a front for for who he was or what he was? But getting to know Morrison and getting to know Morrow over the years and the type of the type of professional he is and the type of belief that he actually has in his own ability was actually amazing to watch. And he knew it was just a matter of time of, of bedding into the club, bedding into the team. We all made him feel welcome and part of it. And then all of a sudden, just that, that spark, all it takes is just one spark. And that was that night. And Morrow just went, he was yeah. gone after that. You know, that was it. And I remember that night clearly. And I don't know if Morrow remembers it, but, that's what that's what I felt when when his uh, Millwall career hit take off. Yeah, well, you, you led me on perfectly to my notes because I said, you know, I was going to say that to help with the push, the promotion push, but he didn't make loads of uh, signings. Kenny Jack, he made a couple of very notable ones. Steve Morrison, Liam Trotter came in, James Henry came in on loan, and Danny Schofield, who obviously great finance. I think he put the corner in for the for the winner, didn't he? At Wembley, Schofield. What were those yeah. boys like? It was actually, Scoey was a phenomenal player because what we needed was an actual ball carrier. Sometimes we were under a lot of pressure and he used to just take so much pressure off. Take off running up the wing and just kill the ball for two or three minutes, take on a few different players. And he was very creative and very comfortable on the ball. You know, we, we knew we could give the ball to him and that he, he protected and looked after it. 
Um, Liam Trotter was a sensation as well, just in terms of his size and physical stature. What was he like pers- as a person? I, mean, I, I liked him. He, he divides opinion with me all fans. He just looked very casual on the pitch, shall we say, but he had clearly had talent. Yeah, and, and that, that was his nature. That was his yes. nature. And I think a lot of Millwall fans and a lot of people probably expected him to be a lot more aggressive. And that didn't mean he wasn't assertive. You know, he definitely assert himself in games and take take the scruff of the neck and stuff like that. Like, but when it came to, you know, stepping over into, he wasn't one say for the dark arts. You know, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so he um, didn't have the his, attributes, his, his ability to, his, yeah, his ability and his his presence to run with the ball and you know to create and set up chances and score some important goals. He was. Uh, he was a great player, and like that, that just wasn't that wasn't in his that wasn't in his nature to go to those to go to those to, to those extremes. Um, and for Scoey, yeah, as I mentioned, Scoey was top class. James Henry was a character; he was brilliant. He was uh, he was very confident in his abilities. Let's put it that way when he first came in, and he backed it up. You know, his ability to cross a ball and to whip that ball around someone's even under under extreme pressure. And to get across into play he was, uh, and he scored some absolutely cracking goals. Yeah. And he was a great guy, Lenny. Lenny was funny, like you know, he was a, a very funny, funny character. We got, we got great knocks out of him, like you know. And yeah, Lenny, we used to call him. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think who else did you mention there? As we said, Morrison. Yeah, Morrow was, yeah, Morrow Morrow. was a sensation for Millwall. You played another 56 times this season. You missed only one game, which was a John- Johnson's Paint Trophy against Barnet. Um, he picked up four bookings as well. There's that little bit of aggression we were talking about along the way. <laughs> yeah, I think that was four bookings by the end of the first month. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I had I had an uncanny knack. And there's two stories I'd like to tell you. That one is about the yellow cards, and one is about the um, one is about that Barnet game actually, because George Friend came on loan. Yeah, and um, I don't know if I can say this online, but he was taking a throw in. And one of the Millwall fans came over, and he comes in at half time, and he turns around to me and he says, "40." He goes, Millwall fans have to call me a C-U-N-T. Right? And I'm laughing. I said, seriously, I said, you better get used to it, lad. I said, think of it as a term of endearment, right? <laughs> so next thing, he takes this throw in and he says, hey, George, you know, you know, friend of mine, you <laughs> And we're all just, I'm just, I'm just like going, but he thought this was like, he thought, oh my God, I'm one Yeah. And I was thinking, lad, just, just look at it as, just look at that. And he never, he, he found it difficult. I think because like that, I think George was like, you know, sensitive lad and all that. He found that really, really difficult. So he never really, I don't think he's ever recovered after that. But to be fair, he went on to Middlesbrough and absolutely smashed it a new one, like captain dome, yeah. had him in the Premier League and like an absolute athlete. What a player. So that was great. And then you go back to the yellow cards. Yeah, I had an uncanny knack to just bring referees to a point. And like when I just finished at Cambridge, there's a young, fantastic goalkeeper up there at the moment, the Demitar Mitov. And Dimi used to be watching my games and stuff, and he'd be like smaller crowds and stuff, and he'd be like, How are you getting away with what you're saying to those referees? He said, <laughs> Anyone else is off the pitch, like, you know. So I used to have um, I used to have some great relationships. I used to have great fun with the referees actually, before games and after games, and, and building that rapport with them, building that relationship with them. So I think there was definitely times where I uh, overstepped the boundary and overstepped the mark that I shouldn't have and I got away with, but it was good fun. It was, um, what was I going to ask you next? I was going to ask you next, um, th- what was the secret to your success almost to keeping your fitness? Because obviously, you know, you must take a few whacks as a goalkeeper. 
He played you played pretty much every game straight, as you said, for three seasons. What was was there anything that was key behind that or anything key behind that? Yeah, I think it was definitely I was going through that stage of, of my physicality because when I was younger, um, you know, I was always told I had a lot of potential. One, I was always a late developer and everything that's come to me in my career always came late. Mm. And I was only talking to someone about this this morning where uh I was like something out of the uh, the big movie. I was like Tom Hanks. I woke up one morning six foot four, and I was like, "Geez, what are these hands, limbs?" I was like, "Jesus Christ, what's happening here?" So, um, and I carry. I would have carried a lot of weight as a kid, like you know. So, um, what it was for me was when when I got back over to the UK and after those spells and stuff, where I never fully looked after myself, my physicality and and the physiology and and, and the fitness and stuff at the time, because that was kind of just starting to happen for me, whether it was alcohol or whether it was food and, and everything else that goes with it. So when I first went to Millwall, I said, right, I made that conscious decision that I'm going to go down here and I'm going to give it absolutely everything because it was, it was the last chance saloon for me really, because I had to go here. I was now 28 years of age. Time was running out yeah, and um, I had to get my, uh, as I say, I had to get my shit together. So I managed to um, get, get, get in in the mornings, get get on the exercise bike, do my fat burners, have my bowl of porridge, get back into the gym, do my strength and conditioning, and then go back out and train with Tony Burns, whose sessions at times were nothing short of barbaric. <laughs> no joking. They were absolutely, they'd murder you, you know. You'd be crawling in your hands and knees after them. You'd sand pits on the go. You'd see legs. Yeah, it was it was it was amazing. I've seen goalkeepers come in on trial and they're in bushes getting sick and vomiting and getting nosebleeds and everything. <laughs> like, you know, it, was, it was insane. It was insane. So uh, yeah. So then I, I I just built up that fitness and I, I think it was more as well of of my mental strength and, and my mentality that even though there was many times when I was at Millwall that my confidence was always really low and I think that's what the fans began to liken me eventually was after getting through those rough periods and those rough times and, you know, coming over those levels of self-doubt and, and low selves of like esteem and confidence and all that, mm. that I always turned up. I always adopted that attitude that I'd crossed the white line. I never shied away. I never pulled out with an injury. And there was often times I was thinking, Jesus, I'm after letting one go through my legs here. Will I just pull out with a game this week or, you know, kind of, you know, will I just say, you know, pull an injury and, you know, all these kind of mad things that go through your head as a footballer. Mm. And it, it never once dawned on me that it was like, right, I have a job to do. I have a jersey, I have a position to keep. And it was about ownership and owning that jersey for me about being number one. It was so important to me to be number one because it became about my identity of actually who I was. It actually reinforced my identity of, of, of David Ford. It came an absolute part of me. It came totally ingrained in me. So that type of mentality, but where I probably struggled was, was my emotional health. You know, my mental health and my physical health was in a good space, but emotionally I was on an absolute roller coaster, like, you know? Yeah. Well, no, it's one thing you never, ever did was shirk the, the responsibility of playing because you used to, at the Vaseline, when you used to take your gloves off at the end and clap, you just, like you had another pair of gloves on with all the tape. Did you used to wear a gum shield as well at some points? No, I never, never wore a gum sheet. That's just me big lips. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I never, never, never wore a gum shield. Probably when I talk, it probably sounds like I've got a gum shield in. It's very relaxing. Yeah, you always, yeah, always, always had the fingers, fingers taped up and the Vaseline, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. The, um, I definitely had the fingers. I was like Michael Jackson at times. Like, do you know what I mean? I had the wrist strapped up, I had the fingers strapped up. 
Um, you know, I, I'll never forget, actually, I, I've, da I've done so much damage to my fingers and my hands. And this, especially this baby finger here, I've dislocated it a few times. So we're playing South End away. And I think it was, it must have been Gale Force wins. I was taking goal kicks and they were coming back into my hand. That's how strong it was. I've never played in weather or wind like it, but we managed to beat Swindon on the same night. And uh, I made a save down bottom low and my finger got caught in the turf and it popped out. So that finger was basically like that. Yeah. So Bobby, the physio, Bobby Bassett came on and Bobby was such a great character. He was such a great physio. And um, the boys used to be, Bobby Basic is the name, but the boys used to call him Bobby Basic, you know, and he used to go, he used to lose his shit, like, you know, he used to freak out, <laughs> he'd be losing his shit, like, you know, and, um, but he was a, he was a great physio, but more importantly, he was, a, he was a great character, and he was just, he was just like a brother or an uncle figure, you go into the medical room, you'd have a chat with him, and he'd just lighten things up and make it a bit of, a bit of fun and stuff, but he comes running onto the pitch with his little medical bag, and uh, he comes over to me, and he's like, right, he tried to pop it and I'm like taking deep breaths and he's like it wouldn't pop and I was like Bobby I said get that finger in like I'm not breaking my record like you know I'm, I'm, I'm here like you know I just, just I play with it like this and he says no no I said if I pull this he said that could be broken could be that could end your career he said this isn't this isn't good like you know this isn't good yeah. so I just looked him in the eyes and I gave him the old stare and I said Bobby I'm going to breathe in and when I breathe in you pull on that finger right and you better put it back in right so he's going, Jesus, so pop it. And all the Millwall fans behind me, and it goes back in. And I'm like, Jesus, that's so sore. But I could barely bend it. So I've come in at half time and I'm going to Burnsy. I'm going, Burnsy, my finger is an absolute ribbons here. Like, I'm really, really struggling. And he goes, are you, son? Give, give us a look at it there. Give us a look at it. So I go over like that. And he goes, he goes, do you think you need a fitness test? And I says, Jesus, yeah, I think I'm struggling. Like he says, no, no, you're right. It's your baby finger. You don't catch it with your baby finger anyhow. And he says, how does this feel? And he caught my hand and he gave it the, gave it the bear grip. And I folded on my knees and I'm like that down on my knees. And he goes, are you fit? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fit. <laughs> well, get out there then. Get out for the second half. Brilliant. So I'm out and we played, yeah. So you look back at times like that and you think, mm. oh, amazing, amazing times, amazing memories. So it was a good season, uh, promotion, but there's some other games I want to talk about before we get into the uh, playoffs. West Ham away in the League Cup. Jesus, what a game. Was that the 2008, the riot tonight? Yeah, yeah, that was a carnage one. <laughs> that, was, that was hardcore, that was. That was that was a hardcore day, like, you know, and it was one we were so looking forward to, and we were actually praying that, that we'd actually get that game. And then just the build-up to it, you could just drive it into the stadium, you just felt... Something ain't right here. It was like the police took the night off or something. And they just thought, do you know what? We let Millwall and West Ham go at it. Like, you know, we let them we let them go at it. But it was it was it got to a stage where, right, fair enough, there's it's it's you can't condone, you know, that level of violence and stuff like that. But it got to a stage where it was like, right, this is this is definitely hardcore, this is not right. So whatever was in the air that night, it wasn't it wasn't good. But um and to be part of it and to play in it for me the atmosphere on the pitch, what was that like? Yeah, it was it was absolutely electric because all of a sudden you could just feel it start building down in one of the corners. They started pushing off the um, pushing into the stewards, and then where the stewards were trying to hold them back, I think it was pushing the turf up off of the pitch. And then all of a sudden there was um, chairs started to come flying. I'm sat there, and next thing this boomerang, a chair comes flying around my head and off with the other pitch, the other side. And I'm thinking, oh my god, it's absolutely gone off here. But we probably played the best bit of football. We just rose our game to like Premier League standard for that night. And I remember just thinking, 
geez, we're we're playing like Real Madrid here, like you know. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. Uh, Chopper scored, um, great goal. And Dunny probably, I'd say, he probably still has nightmares about this. He picked the ball up his right back, ran up the right wing, cut inside, beat about six players, and absolutely p rolled at that Robert Green. <laughs> I think he ran out of legs by the time he got to the box. It probably would have been one of the greatest Millwall goals ever. And then he P-rolls it into, into Robert Green's hand, where it could have been an amazing goal, an amazing night, but it wasn't to be from. But um, yeah, they came back, scored a couple of goals, and then we got pulled off the pitch two or three times. We got swarmed by the, the West Ham fans. But for me, I always felt comfortable in that environment. I felt for, what I don't know, was it the environment itself or was it a fact that, you know, where I grew up and that, that level of um, um, aggression felt comfortable for me. Yeah. Or whether it was the fact that I was at West Ham and, you know, being part of both clubs at some stage in my career, that I didn't feel threatened in that environment. You know, I just seen it as a, a huge challenge. It wasn't a threat for me. So it was it was an amazing night and, and we were unlucky to actually lose that night, I think. Like, you know, I think it went into extra time and everything else. And, yeah, did you? And, yeah, we got beat late on. I think Zabon Hines scored late. Yeah. Oh, a different type of derby. But again, a game that sticks out in my memory for, for some reason. Always remember this game: Cholton four, Millwall four, around Christmas time at the Valley. Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, that was that was epic. That was the pitch was actually frozen. Yeah, that should never. That should never. Inside the six yard box was like I was like Bambi on ice, and um, you know it was. It, I was wearing my studs, and I was just thinking, "Well, this is this is actually hardcore." And did Scoey score the fourth one or Morrison? Uh, Morrison's got an own goal that day as well, I believe, if I remember. Did he? Yeah. yeah. And I think... Um, I think Strofield I think, got the last one. I think one, we yeah. scored late on. I think we scored later on to, to, to nick a draw. Yeah. And that, that was like Leeds as well. It's the same thing with Charlton. I always knew playing Charlton, we're like, we're going to beat Charlton. And even when we were struggling, even when we were bottom of the league or even when we had no confidence, we'd always beat Charlton. <laughs> we, just, we, we, we just knew, like, you know, and there were some great games at the Valley... There's been some great games there. I think we beat them as well, 4-0 at, um, yeah, at, same at the Den and stuff. Yeah, so there's been some great... and It's a, it's a great club. It's, it's a great place to go and play the Valley. And one, one of my... one Like that, I think we beat them 1-0. And uh, we used to bring 4,500 or 5,000 Millwall fans into that shed-in. So the atmosphere used to be always bouncing. I remember them having the little uh, blow-up dolls and... Or blow up um, inflatable little little things floating around in the in the ground and stuff, and, and just the noise the Millwall fans created, like you know. So yeah. it was uh, it was absolutely epic, epic games. Always a good one, Chol, and always a, a good one as well. Uh, Palace, but we'll get onto Palace later on. As you said, we scored four nil against Cholton in the home game. Scored loads of goals towards back into that season. Tranmere five nil, Stockport four nil, Gillingham four nil, and we hurtled at a great rate of knots towards the playoffs again. Falling just short, finishing third. Leeds snuck in second. Was that yeah. a little bit like fucking? Just I think two points. I think they done us by. Oh, it was. It was. It was actually crazy because I remember. I'll, I'll never forget it because we played Swindon at home, and we were playing. We were high in confidence. You know, we went on a serious run from Christmas onwards. Mm. I think Boxing Day we got beat by Norwich and got. They went up that year. They were really good. They had Wes Houlihan and Grant Holden, the team. They had a fantastic team, yeah, and they they hockeyed us on Boxing Day up at up at Carrow Road. And after that game, we just went boom. We went on. I think we only lost maybe two or three games after that, or four games or something, mm. for till the end of the season. 
and we went on an amazing run. So we were in high confidence and we got Swindon at home that day and the den was expecting like that as well. They thought, right, we could be getting automatically promoted. It was 17, 17 and a half thousand. Mm. And when you get den, the den, when the den's a full house, it's such a special place, you know, and, and one of my fondest memories of Millwall is that monks chant. And, um, you know, uh, I'm an avid fan of, of meditation and practice and Tibetan mantra and practice and to hear that chant and to hear 17 and a half thousand people chant that is some feeling that just goes absolutely through me. Mm. So you could feel that and you could feel the stadium when, when it gets into that place and gets into that atmosphere, you're one up. You know, when the team comes out, they're like, we're not winning here today. You just know it. You smell it. You feel it. You yeah. sense it. And Millwall players or their fans are behind us and the players are there and we're all at it. We're all actually on it and they're, they're special, special games. And that was one of them. And then we went on, we, we, I'll never forget it. All of a sudden the stadium goes quiet with about 15 minutes to go. And it just went to that eerie silence and we were like, what's actually happening here? We're winning. Next thing it started, you know, the mumbles and the stirs and it started. Next thing Joe Gallon's shouting at me, we're going, we're up, we're up, just like kill it. Like leads are getting beat. And then you're hearing it from ball boys and you're hearing it from lads in the stands. And I'm like, what's happening, lads? And they're all like filling me in. There's 15 minutes left. They're still losing. I'm running over, chatting to the lads in the stands. The ball's down the other end. And there's great excitement. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, it just goes really quiet again. And you're like, what just happened? And then next it's like, oh, Leeds have scored last minute. And then you see the type of goal that they conceded. Bristol Rovers conceded where the keeper threw it out. And they were a man down as well, everything leads. You're just thinking you were sick. We were sick in our buckets after watching. Um, but we thought, do you know what? It, we have to exercise a ghost here because one, Millwall hadn't won at Wembley, I think. Um, two, we had such a bad loss the, the, the following season. So we wanted to, we had a point to prove, not, not to the fans or not to anyone else, but to ourselves. And, um, you know, to do ourselves justice that we go back so we had a serious focus. It brought a serious focus and a serious um, shift in our concentration in terms of what we need to do for the next two games. Right, Huddersfield are in the way. Um, and I think it was a, we played them away and we were wearing that AC Milan kit and it was a bit of a drab game. We got a result. Kenny set up the team, right, don't get beat. We get a result of Huddersfield. They're a really good side. And we get them back down to the den because we knew getting back down to the den with a full house, midweek game, you know, lovely, warm, lovely, beautiful evening, bit of dew on the grass and the stadium hopping. And that's one of, well, that's one of my fond, fondest memories as well, because I'll never forget when I went to Portsmouth on loan um, toward in 2017. And Gary Roberts, who's a, like a fantastic player, and he was at playing left wing for um, Huddersfield at the time. So Robbo had scored unbelievable header, absolute bullet header into the top. No, Morrow scored the kind of tapping came off his shins and managed to bundle it into the net and then to seal it, Morrow scored that header. So the den was absolutely rocking. And Gary Roberts, I remember him showing it on Sky, it zoomed over and the ball went out of play. And one of the Millwall fans, I don't know whoever he is, whoever he is, he probably knows who he is. And he was some hero, picked up the ball in one hand and went to him, called him over. <laughs> and the camera zooms in on Gary Roberts and he's like this. <laughs> trying to say no and shake his head and he's like trying to move his eyes and everything else and move his chin and move his head and he's like no no and he wouldn't go over he wouldn't go over and get the ball so that just showed you the level of mm. the, the 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 level of intimidation and the level of um you know it's, it's all part of the game it's all part of the, the process and it managed that that type of atmosphere and that type of um 
you know, environment that night helped us to get to get over the line and get us to Wembley. And all of a sudden, we were back at Wembley again. And when the whistle went, the police horses and the fans, and I think I came off the pitch with just me sluggies on. My boots got ripped off, my shin pads. So whoever's got me um, sluggies, they can hand them back, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because um, we've interviewed Paul Stevenson on the channel. He used to play for me in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, yeah. he was actually assistant manager to Lee Clark at that time at Huddersfield. And he said right. to me during his interview, obviously, he, he never got to play at the new den, but obviously he experienced the old den. And he, he said, as soon as we drawn at home, I knew he was done because we had too many younger players. And he knew they wouldn't be, they'd sink. You know, they would definitely weren't going to swim coming to the den, you know? Yeah, 100%. They, they were definitely a very, very young side, very young team and stuff. Mm. And like that, we, we had to take advantage of it. But we, we started to have a, a, a known. We started to have a belief that it was going to be our year. Um, we had some some key players. Darren Moore had come in as well, and he showed up the defence as well. And he was, you know, he was a great figure because he was being at Millwall. He knows what Millwall was about, and um, he was. I, I love playing with Darren. He was a fantastic defender, um, and like that as well. Where we we just we just had a, a rock solid core group of players and a, a solid team. We were just a, a good team all around. Like you know that we knew that we'd give any team in that division a good goal and we just wanted to get back to Wembley and it was Wembley again the following year which was great because it was it wasn't about it wasn't about going to Wembley where you're going as a visitor now and you're on about visiting this great stadium that for me is is the coliseum of modern day football you know for me as a young boy growing up watching FA Cup finals when all they had in telly was an FA Cup final yeah. all they had was one game on a Saturday and match of the day and and uh, what's it called it the Saints and Greavesy show and all those kinds of things where old Wembley and and then the whole build up to Wembley was you know to get to Wembley was was absolutely the absolute dream like so we did that the first year next second year was just right it's just it's just Wembley and then there was no club suits we're probably I'd say the first and only team to ever rock up to a final at Wembley with a pair of tracksuits on and they were booked there as well I swear to God, yeah, a shell suit booked a tracksuit that would cut the notes clean off you, like, but that's another story. And, um, yeah, so focus on the game, nothing else matters. Don't worry about the, the occasion, the suits, fuck who else matters. We're going there, it's his business, yeah. Before the season was, I have to get tickets for family, all that kind of thing. I actually, I just turned around and I went, Do you know what, friends, mates, I said, I have a few tickets here, that's about it. I'm not going chasing anything, I've got my focus, I know I've got a game to win here. And it wasn't about me. I would have loved to have more people at it, but it was just about, I need to look after me here. I need to look after my family. I need to look after the team. I need to get myself in the best possible space. So we got rid of all that stuff and, and just started to really dial in and, and what the fit, the game was about and, and the build-up. You know? And um, so when we rocked up and we knew Swindon were, were a decent side, we just beaten them a few weeks earlier. And they'd rocked up in their suits. They looked a million dollars. You know, they did look well, to be fair. Their red and white ties and their cameras going and everything else. And we just walked out onto the tunnel. I remember walking out the tunnel because I had this thing about coming out last because I used to like to size up. When I was in goal, I was always the last line of defence. So when I was on the pitch, I, I could always observe and witness what was going on around me. And I remember just watching, you know, the lads in front of me and, and, and watching the players as we line up in the tunnel. And I'm looking across, I tie to the, um, I tie to the uh, the Swindon players, and they were still that kind of glass-eyed, looking around, thinking, "Wow, this is amazing!" Walking out, and they've got fire, fire, 
um, pyrotechnic mad shit going on. Like, and you're just going, Jesus Christ, my eyebrows are getting burnt off me here, and I got to go and play a game. So they they were taken in by all that, and I just knew. I think we started off the game really, really well, and um, we could have been probably two or three goals up. Morrow taps in, and we worked on that. You know, Chopper going to the front post, getting a little glance on it, mm. and Robbo sticks his leg out and 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 scores. And I knew once we got one nil up, we're like, right, we're hard to beat because I think we had 20 something clean sheets that year as well yeah. and we had three we had you know two clean sheets in the playoffs and then that was the, the third one on, on that day and then came to the second half where we knew right they're going to come at us and then we had a young Charlie Austin which chance. yeah yeah so we I, I always remember it I can still remember it in slow motion even if I close my eyes now ball came back to Robbo and he went to play a back pass to me and he left it shy like you know he left it about 50 yards shy but anyhow um uh, Charlie Adams ran or Charlie Austin ran onto it and I come running out and I'm thinking all oh, right this is a goal here and at the time State Wembley was relatively new and they were all complaining about the turf and the pitch and you yeah. know the surface isn't good enough and all this kind of thing but I was delighted afterwards anyway because I hit a huge bobble and it came off his shin or his knee or something and he put yeah, it about yeah. 40 yards wide and I remember getting the ball afterwards and my heart was in my mouth I was really <laughs> shook the bits after it and I was thinking I have to take a goal kick after this, right? And I have to send this ball 70 yards. And my legs were like jelly. They were like sea legs. I was like running up to this ball thinking, right, just make contact. Just at least get it to the halfway line, you know? And, um, you know, the whistle blew and it was just absolute scenes after that. Like it was it was such a phenomenal experience. And I think to have 45, 50,000 Millwall fans was truly amazing. Yeah, for you personally as well, you know, you said, you know, you, you really felt you had to kickstart your career at Millwall. Two seasons, not miss the game. Um, back-to-back Wembley appearances and promotion. You must have felt like, yeah, this is sorted now, this is me. Yeah, that's, yeah, I I, I absolutely ate, bra- breathed and slept Millwall, the club. It, it just got in on me so much, you know, to the point that... Um, you know, it, it, it family nearly came second at stages, you know, which wasn't healthy neither, which wasn't good neither. Like, you know, but Mrs. isn't watching this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she'll, um, I'll tell her about it later on. I'll just tell her, yeah, they always came first. And uh, yeah, so like that, it was it was just so important for me. And, and like that for my family, why I was actually doing it, that was always my motivation was from my wife and my kids and giving them that that that, that start and to, to, to give them the best that I could give them. That was always my motivation. And um, so to finally get into the championship was amazing. Now all of a sudden, can I establish myself in the championship? Because if I want to play for Ireland, right, that's that's number one sorted out. I've sorted out my my my, my fitness and my physicality and my, um, my ability, my consistency levels, which is key for a goalkeeper. You know, consistency is key for a keeper. And, you know, because it's it's perseverance that builds and it's consistency that keeps. So to keep that position and keep that level, you've got to be so consistent. So now I've that sorted. I've got my, 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 my fitness in mind. Now I've ticked that other box of I've got my goal of, of getting to the championship with Millwall. And next was, right, it's either Premier League was probably way down the line. It was probably let's consolidate. Let's stay in the division. Let's see, can we stay up this year? Because we probably had the smallest budget in, in the division. Um, and with that, then came the, the potential of, right, now I can f- 
fundamentally give it a, a head start to actually get into the Irish team because I'm playing playing at championship level. That was kind of minimum requirement at the time. You know, it was either you're playing the Premier League or minimum requirement to get to play for Ireland was was playing the championship. So that became a, a new focus and a, and a new drive for me, which was amazing because the the joys and the elations were were short lived, especially as me and the type of person that I actually am, because I'm such a high achiever. A lot of the times, I often forgot about. The journey and and, yeah. and and experience and the whole thing at the time it was always next it was always the destination it was always right now i got to prepare for next season yeah exactly so even like even the celebrations were always short-lived with me it was always like the i had that yeah, ultimate really kind of professional exciting. mentality where it was like next yeah, right yeah. on to the next one and um then with that mentality then came the the level of doubt was like geez am i going to be good enough for the championship well, oh my god fair up here you know that was you're, you're almost perfectly leading me onto my notes because as was, this was my next question. You, you personally as well, did you have the belief that you could make a step up? And also as a team, did you feel that, or oh, were a new team being promoted, we could struggle? Or did you believe, like, no, we we deserve to be in the championship now and we'll prove we're good enough? No, I, I definitely think we we uh, we proved we deserved it. Um, and I definitely think we had the momentum as well. And I definitely think we were starting to mature as a group and stuff because we had... Um, we had all the fundamentals there, you know. We had from from the foundation at the back, from myself in the back four, kept a lot of clean sheets. We were solid. We knew what we did to defend and keep that ball out of the net at all costs. We had a good midfield. We knew that we had the legs. We knew that we had the energy. We knew we had the ball carriers. And then up top, we knew we had the goals in, in Chopper and Morrison and Gary and all the people that chipped in with goals. So we knew we were a, a good, solid, solid outfit. So... Um, for us, it was it was a case on on a team level, but on a personal level, it was it was it was a, it was a different story as well because you still I still had to prove that to myself that I could play at the championship level and um, you know the the synchronicity of it and, and the serendipity of it the beauty of it was that the first game was actually against um, Bristol Rovers away at Ashton Gate. And David James was retiring. So David James was always my hero growing up as a goalkeeper. I love David James. And I got to work with him at West Ham. And now all of a sudden, it was like a changing of the guard as such. You know, I walked into Ashton Gate and he sat in the medical room and he sees me coming by and, geez, he lives on coffee. Like, he was always drinking coffee. And he had a cup of coffee in his hand and he called me in and he just he hadn't seen me for nearly, geez, it must have been nearly the best part of four or five years, six years or whatever. And we just sat in and we had a chat and I thought, geez, what a lovely gesture. Like I'm talking here to former England number one here and everything else. And we're just having a chat and I'm thinking, this is amazing to see that now I feel it's my time and he's coming to the end of his time. So yeah. it was it was like an energetic thing. It was like a handing over of a guard type of thing. Yeah. Like so. And then we won that day, a great win down. I think it was a 3-0 or 3-1. We won down yeah. at Ashton Gate. And we won, we I think we were top of the league after three games, wasn't we? Yeah, yeah, we were spent. That's right. Yeah, yeah, we were flying, beat hole and everything. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bonuses didn't kick in till after the third game. That was the only unfortunate thing. The club were delighted. Uh-huh. Also, I was going to say to you, you know, again from from you personally, I said, did you feel you was good enough? But it was also another a flawless performance season for you. 50, 50 straight games, didn't miss a game all season. Yeah, another 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 run of games again. So I was up like the hundred and fifty mark, hundred and fifty six games after after that season, and. The, the the I think it was 20, 21 clean sheets I kept that year in the championship, which is astronomical. When I look back at it now, like you're thinking, someone that keeps twenty one clean sheets is that's that's 
promotion material, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and oftentimes, I, I often think that, right, that type and that level of performance that year was 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 amazing to get to that levels within myself, as you said, and then especially considering could I actually get to that place? But that was just part of, you know, sometimes that bit of doubt when we start to reframe that in our minds as, as, a, as a way to actually question ourselves and as a way to look at right new things. You know, it's not always a bad thing, but oftentimes we look at it as a bad thing. So it taught me a lot about myself and a lot about what I can actually achieve on the pitch. And then um, it came, an iron call came, came calling just after that as well. Like, so it was an, an amazing year. You know, it was a phenomenal year. My son was born. Um, and what else I was going to say? Yeah, my son was born just before the end of the season, April 30th. And, uh, yeah, we just lost out in the playoffs that year. I think we lost out by two points or something to Swansea, who eventually went on to, to get promoted. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.